Joining me in studio are Terry Prone, Chairman of the Communications Clinic, Fergus Finlay, CEO of the children's charity Bernardo's, and Sinn Féin TD, Padder Tobin. Now, for those of you just waking up, let's have a listen back to the entire commentary from uh, that Conor McGregor fight in Las Vegas last night. Here we go! Green trunks for the southpaw, the notorious Conor McGregor. Black trunks for the champion... Jose Aldo Jr. Connor relaxed and smiling. Oh! And and that was it. it Thirteen seconds. Fergus Finlay, you're a mixed martial arts guru, are you? <laughs> I was not quite a guru, no. I did watch Did you wait up uh, last night? I didn't wait up, no, I watched it this morning. It's all over Facebook, of course, and uh, everywhere else, and all over the social media. I, so I've watched it four or five times. Now, they, they haven't caught up with slow motion yet. He hits him once, and Aldo goes down like a stone. I challenge you to watch it and see him hit him. He, you know, he either hit him so fast um, or, or, or else it was, you know, Aldo slipped and fell and banged his head or something. I mean, it's, it's almost like a joke. I mean, know? these guys are supposed to be, you know, the ultimate fighting machines. It's yeah, yeah, probably yeah. unlikely that he slipped and fell. But when you look at them, I mean, they're, they're, like, they're like comic cartoon characters, they're, the way they're built. They're, you know, they're like, they're like something out of the movies. Um, and you can you can hear the commentators were kind of settling themselves in their seats, and they were getting ready to go. And suddenly it was over. Um, uh, I'm like it was almost funny. I wouldn't want to have waited up uh, until the small hours just for that. Wouldn't Mother you feel God. a little bit patter? Would you feel a bit shortchanged if you'd paid your TV subscription for this fight? Absolutely. I, I think if it was a paper, f- was there even a minor match on before? Oh, there was. A, if it was a pay per view. And the, uh, there was more money the longer the match went on. I suspect the match would have went on a little bit longer. Um, it's For me, obviously, you know, there was a crowd of 16,000 people there. I think a first-round championship match in the, the All-Ireland would easily get 16,000. But you wouldn't, get the, was playing, I <coughs> but you wouldn't yeah. get the same level of hype, really, uh, around it. And I think, the admission you know, fee would be a bit bigger. It would be yeah, a little bit bigger. Yeah. But hype per second, this has to be a Wouldn't be la- many lads bringing their ham sandwiches in tinfoil <laughs> to the no. Las Vegas. No, no. no. I like, you know, you, you'd wish them all the very best of luck. And, you know, for a lot of people, this is an extremely important sporting event. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's very grown. hard to it's watch. It's hugely. Yeah. It is huge. It's very hard to watch. And I mean, one of the things I, I, I didn't notice it so much last night or this morning, but I watched his last fight after the event as well. And one of the things that is very striking is so there's four or five fights before yeah and then he that's quite normal though the same yeah, in boxing yeah. and so forth same the ring is covered in blood do you know like when you, when the camera just pans into the ring there's blood all over the place from the previous four or five fights and like that's not a sport like you know how is that allowed how is that legal that people are allowed to beat each other to a pulp like that well it's presumably they're consenting adults uh, yeah doing this for considerable they're, reward they're really highly paid consenting yeah. adults yeah um, there's a definition of that isn't there when you consent over a certain price that that that's defined in a certain sort of way as well. Easy tiger, let's not go there. Um, look, we, we'll be talking uh, about the Conor McGregor fight when we do, uh, when we come to talk about sports uh, a little bit later after 11. But I, I want to go back Speaking to... Speaking of Conor McGregor, 
What about you, Michael Vanny? Go back to the newspapers Mm. uh, this morning. And there's extensive uh, coverage in all the papers of... um, uh, following on from the RTE primetime <clears throat> investigates expose last week, which secretly filmed three councillors appearing to look for uh, money to aid uh, to, to aid planning applications and facilitate a what turned out to be a fictitious um, wind, farm. Uh, wind farm project uh, in in their constituencies. Um, there, big spread on it in the mail, as there is in, in several other papers, uh, quoting uh, again Hugh McIlvanny, the, the Monaghan councillor, saying they're losing a good man uh, in there. Now, he's referring to himself uh, in, in that. I've often thought it that uh, it says something about politicians when they refer to themselves in the uh, in the third person. Um, like uh, P. Flynn. P. Flynn was a great man for uh, referring to himself in the uh, in Wasn't the third person. Al- Al- Alan Kelly, I think, uh, another uh, one tends to, t- tends to he uses to his initials well. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, w- what did you make, uh, Fergus? Uh, again, I'll start with you of the of the story and of the coverage of it uh, this morning. <coughs> I think there's a few things I'd like to say about it. I, I think the first thing I'd like to say about it is that it's. It's a pity that there's nobody left in Ireland apart from OTE with the resources and capacity to do stories like that. No newspaper can do it anymore. Um, there was a time when, you know, the inside team in the Sunday Times would have been very heavily involved in, in those kind of things. I think that's that's a terrible pity. I, I, I think your man McIlvanny is a farce. Uh, you know, he's he's... He's like a throwback uh, in many ways to Hall's Pictorial Weekly and, and all that. And and I've, uh, to be honest, I find it, I mean, it's disgusting what, what we saw on television. I find it hard to take it seriously. I, I was actually more disturbed in some ways by the fact that so many members of the Doyle had inaccurate or incomplete returns on their on their register of interests. We set up these register of interests for very specific reasons to enable a higher degree of transparency to enable people to be aware of potential conflicts of interest, etc., etc. And there's a very significant number of members of the Doyle from all parties who, you know, haven't really bothered uh, and who found themselves shamefacedly having to correct the record and so on when when primetime conducted them. And a massive number of councillors. A massive number <coughs> of councillors. So what you, what you have is um, you have... And it's perhaps the last important sector of Irish life. You have an unregulated politics still. There are laws and there are rules. But there's an extensive but there's nobody framework to of ethics legislation. There is an extensive framework of ethics legislation and nobody within that framework is able to ring up and say, I've got your return, I don't trust it. Please answer the following question. Pat Rabbit asks in uh, in the Business Post this morning, he asks, why didn't SIPO ring these guys and say your declaration is incomplete? Well, I, my understanding is that they would... SIPO being the, the Standards Commission. My understanding is they would argue they don't have that capacity. They don't and, have that, those are And that's the key issue here. The, the, in, in this state, there is no consequence to behaviour because, you know, some people say, well, is this a cultural issue? I don't think it is a cultural issue. I think that anybody who's a councillor knows that they're very unlikely to get caught out uh, with this regard, with this type of behaviour. There's no consequence to behaviour uh, in this state. And one of the reasons being is what, there is infrastructure to... Uh, focus on these ethics issue. Most of them are not funded or resourced properly to uh, 
to enforce it. So, for example, no, like if, if you look at the uh, Garda Bureau of Fraud Investigation, yesterday there was a headline in the Examiner which stated that they don't have the IT system or a financial analyst to carry out their work. SIPO can't carry out investigations. It's, it, it, well, it, it, it can carry out it, investigations on the foot of uh, complaints. On the foot of, oh, on the foot of complaints, complaints, but yeah. it, can't, it can't do so from its own perspective. So in other words, it must wait for a third party to contact but it. But even when those complaints are made, its record on investigations is patchy. There's a, there's a good spread on this in the, uh, in the mail and they go through a number of previous controversies and they refer to the complaints made to the Standards Commission in 2006 about Bertie Ahern, who was uh, who was then Taoiseach, of course, and a year later, no investigation had taken place. And then when they did decide to have an investigation, they ruled that the events complained of were uh, were, were before they were set up and therefore they couldn't investigate and, them. But, like, uh, again, SIPO are on the record in saying that they don't have the necessary resources to do the work. Isn't that and always what? No, you know, no. But look, Everybody says when they don't okay. do their job, they say we don't have the resources. Well, hear me out so. for a second, OK? If, if you get onto the Gardaí, and you look for them, that they're a fraud squad to investigate a financial fraud. And they say, well, we don't have a financial analyst in the organisation. Surely that's a resource hole. Now, for example, the, the competition authority in, in this country never had enough resources to to absolutely uh, to focus on the, the problems with regards to competition in this state. And what that means is, and this is a very serious issue, in some way when you look at M- McIlvany, he's kind of become a clown around the whole issue. It's a very serious issue. There's flooding happening in this country Houses are being flooded due to their planning being on floodplains as a result of bad planning. There's a whole swathe of different planning issues. Anybody who's trying to live in, in Kildare, Meath, Wicklow or Louth are having massive difficulty getting into the city because of planning that happened that was uh, investigated by the Mahan Tribunal, etc. This is a very serious issue. And all I'm saying is that the, the, the organisations that are tasked with enforcing it are not strong enough. And I think that's because the body, the body politic doesn't take it seriously enough. For example, Project Eagle, uh, which is the the NAMA sale in in the north where there was a a loss of hundreds of millions of euros involved. What did the US do? They bring in the FBI. The the British take in the uh, fraud squad. In this country, the government says that the PAC committee should investigate it. Now, there is how the Public Accounts Committee should investigate it. Now, that a committee should investigate the... The, the the payment to a, uh, the alleged payment to a third party of seven million euros for the the direction of hundreds of millions of euros worth of money is a nonsense. This country needs to take it seriously. There needs to be consequences. People need to go to jail for this type of behaviour. Okay, okay, but Terry. Even when, I mean, it's not true that nobody is ever caught uh, uh, for this type of thing because there are instances of people being caught. We had a decade of tribunals. But even when they are caught, our adverse findings are made either by courts or by tribunals against them. The record very often is that the voters choose to endorse them again and again. Hugh McIlvanny says this morning, he says to Neve Horn in a really entertaining interview uh, in the Sunday Indo, in which he notes that the following morning he was on the altar of his local church, did readings and giving out Holy Communion. That's neither here nor there, I suppose. But he, Hugh McIlvanny predicts to Neve Horn that he'll... Be, he'll top the poll the next time. You wouldn't bet against that, would you? Absolutely not. And the problem with all of the self-righteous people around these, this table this morning, and uh, the only person missing really is Vinton O'Toole, is that there is... Let's a try and get him on the phone. That <laughs> there are gobshites down the country who do desperate things and are voted in by other gobshites. People vote politicians in for a variety of reasons, very few of them noble. 
And the fact is that Michael Vanny, uh, there's a, there's Neve Horan's piece is very funny because she has a local priest uh, who I think is 81 who more or less says that Orti is an absolute disgrace for this entrapment and that he couldn't tell Neve Horan how many good things that McIlvany has done in the local community. And when I was reading that, I was thinking, yeah, do you know something? People who are of doubtful morality are often really good philanthropists. They'll give you money for everything. And local voters choose to vote for people like Michael Lowry, for people like McIlvany, and we should not condemn those local voters because the wisdom of the crowd, they know something we don't Why know. Why shouldn't we condemn those local voters? And it's not just down the, the, down the country, the by the way. Things. There's uh, politicians in Dublin who have been uh, been found uh, you know, to we, have taken payments from them, developers to by... assume that we have the moral right, that we know what is right and wrong. And that that's close to dictatorship. The fact no, is that de- no, 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 democracy is about people choosing the leaders or the politicians that they want. They are not the politicians we would choose. Terry, but asking asking somebody for money to go flawed. and lobby for them and specifying the amount and indicating the pockets you want to put it into. There aren't too many grey areas there. No, but it's there's wrong. an interesting it's side wrong. issue you don't which have I to find be too fascinating. I don't, you, I don't, you can accuse us of being po-faced and sanctimonious it, all you never. like. Never! But it's... But, but it's wrong. Oh, it's, it's absolutely wrong. wrong. No, no, that's a given. And it's insupportable. But the, the interesting thing that I found about the RTE programme was that if any of the people, the politicians, who effectively asked for money to lobby for this wind farm had had two brain cells, they would have gone and done research and found out, does this company actually exist? Yeah. Does it? They were so stupid. Stupid no, that they no, walked no. into sometimes, the sometimes greed overtakes <laughs> yeah. even stupidity. two brain cells. Even, even so two brain cells. I think, I, I think, Terry, maybe Pat, I'll put this uh, to you because you referenced it earlier on. I think the idea that there is a link between this sort of politics and bad government and the failures of the state so spectacularly which so spectacularly came home to roost in the economic crash mm. but this sort this sort of politics gives you bad government yes. so if the people of Ireland in their in their infinite wisdom vote for localism vote for short termism then that's what then that's what they'll get that's what that then that's what they'll get and they've no right to be complaining when they're badly governed surely. no that's the problem because it's uh, the gobshite factor never applies to us who complain rightly about planning and about floodplains and people being allowed to build on them. The fact is that it is one of the inherent problems of democracy. If you go for dictatorship, none of this happens. Hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> There's a lot of democracies in the world that are reasonably well governed. I think I, better I, governed oh, than we are. The Swedish model. Yeah. I think, to be honest, I think before the crash in 2007, I remember. Uh, canvassing in the 2007 elections and asking individuals what do they need and they basically told me that they wanted the lawn in front of them in their, in their estate mode okay so before 2007 there was a very localised attitude towards politics and people were very focused on what was immediately in front of them I think after 2007 when people saw the crash when people saw the disaster unfold when so many people lost their, their houses uh, and you know couldn't feed their, their kids or, or, or clothe their kids 
a, a big section of Irish society became very educated with regards what the political system is all about. So, in other words, that that, that behaviour, that's where uh, politicians are on the take, directly leads to choices uh, uh, which affect their lives. Now, Pader, there's a, there's are a, you suggesting a continuum in that this. this man, McIlvany, will not top the poll because people have become so educated and so national I, I, I think in their he's, thinking? He's, he's, he's less if likely. you are, I'm putting a bet I, on. I, 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 I've, no doubt, I've no doubt that the guy will get elected again, but I, all I'm saying is that he won't have the same type of... of in 2007 as well, there was this big instinct that, you know, us versus Dublin to a certain extent. And that, you know what I mean? That, that's a, that's that a played a large part in it. Part, yeah. And then yeah. when people went it's back not, to... Neither is that exclusive to Ireland. No, no. No, no. Yeah. Centre versus periphery yeah. type issue. But there is a continuum in all of this. And the banking inquiry, for example, one of the, the, the major benefits of that is a focus on the nexus of very close relationships between, you know, uh, banks, developers and politicians where decisions were made to the benefit of a few, but to the cost of many. And I think people are far more aware of that type of uh, uh, politics now than they were in the past. And I, I think people are going to be far more sceptical of the likes of McAvaney. I've no doubt that the guy you know, is going to convince many people that he did manage to uh, pull the mickey out of RTE, that he was you know, you know, giving RTE back what they were giving him. But the truth of the matter is, Politics has changed radically in this country. I think the last there's also a, there's years. a bit of a myth. I think uh, there's a difference in the micro and the macro here. Um, I'm, th- there's a belief in Ireland that we like to vote for and are always willing to vote for what Terry elegantly called the gobshites, and that we are gobshites too as a consequence. That's not my term. I'd be appalled to hear it on the radio, but <laughs> it's Terry's term. Um, in ten of the last fifteen general elections. We changed the government. You know, we voted the, the existing government out and we replaced it with, in some cases, an entirely different government. In other, in other cases, a different makeup of, of government. Every one of Bertie Ahern's governments, for example, was composed differently to the previous one. Um, but in 10 of the 15 general elections, we were disappointed by the government we elected. Uh, and we decided at the end of a term of office, that's enough of them. Um, ah, I don't think you can really say that about Bertie Hearn's government. I mean, he got 40% himself every time. OK, the PDs were in there for two of them, the Greens for one of them. But Bertie Hearn's governments were re-elected, really. Um, oh, if, OK, if you, if you exclude Bertie Hearn's governments, okay. in more than half of um, the last 15 general elections... We threw the existing government out and we replaced it with an entirely different one. And I think what that establishes is that we actually are ready to be disappointed by the politicians we elect. And we end up electing them and then hating them. Um, And you'll see that in a lot of today's papers. There's a a rating, for example, of the present (coughs) cabinet um, carried out in one of today's papers. They're all, you know, basic pass or fail. There's nobody, nobody uh, rated in the cabinet as scoring an honours mark uh, in the eyes of the people. Um, so, you know, with all the talk we, we have about Michael Vanny, what's our attitude to Michael Noonan? Well, you know? well one, of our, one of our most distinguished political columnists asked question uh, today that why do we have such expectations of our government if we have such a low opinion of our politicians? It's a 
bit of an Irish paradox. It's the isn't triumph it? of hope over experience. It is what keeps life going. Of course, we need to hope all of the time, and sometimes we also get the bonus of redemption. One of the papers this morning, and I'm very sorry that I can't remember which it is, has this piece about Michael Noonan, which talks about the absolute destruction of Fine Gael and him when he was leader. And the fact that he's now top of the class kiss teacher in the opinion poll as the most successful minister. Redemption is good. The possibility of redemption is always in the voters' minds. I think that Ireland, partly because of the PR system and partly because of the sophistication of our voters, votes in interesting governments and then has a proper scepticism about them once they're in. I don't think that we end up very often, Fergus, bitter and twisted. I think the last general election was one where we were seriously bitter and twisted, where it was, we'll see you dead rather than we'll allow you to form there were, another There were, there were some reasons for that, though. Mm. There were pretty in, good in, reasons, yeah. You, you seem, Terry, quite kind of unconcerned or a little bit blasé about this Michael Vanny story. Am I picking no, you up wrong? Absolutely. Um, I just have this is a the way, not the way of the world. Huh? enthusiasm for joining the predictably self-righteous consensus. Is the aim yeah. of Dunphy of I, no, this discussion? I, absolutely. <laughs> it's the wrong thing to have done. I praise RTE for doing, uh, for exposing it. And I would very much praise Niamh Horan because she has done her wide-eyed uh, job on him today. And at the end of the story, you can see him coming back to her and saying, listen, don't say that I'm worth 10 million and don't say this and don't say that, which, of course, she already has and in the headline. Um, I am not sure that self-righteous condemnation is desperately fruitful any more than I believe that any of the tribunals that we have had, which have come in with the promise of exposing everything and fixing everything, have had any uh, provable value in the present or the future. I see no evidence that we are policing our politics any better than we did 15 years ago. Our, our, yeah. our, our natural host, Shane Coleman, has a good column on this in the Sunday Indo today, and he talks about voters regularly putting the individual good ahead of the public good or rather politicians have uh, regularly putting the individual good ahead of the public good because that's where the votes lie. We get the politicians we want and that we deserve, Patter. Well, I, as I said previously, I, I do think there's a radical change with regards to uh, politics and I think it's because of people have been hurt and you know, they have, it has cost so much uh, some of the mistakes that's happened. For me, I think we, we c- there's echoes of McIlvany in the larger scale stuff that the government is involved in and the IBRC uh, sales will be another example of this. People will see that an, a commission of investigation was set up to investigate the allegations uh, around the sale of SiteServe and, and other sales from IBRC. They'll see that uh, Dennis O'Brien is continuing to sell the likes of Topaz, etc. Those types of business deals happening still. But they'll see on the other side that the commission investigation has ground to a halt in the sand. So the government's ability, again, to just simply find out the truth around those allegations has failed so far. Also, when Hogan came into, uh, when Phil Hogan came into ministerial power, one of the first things he did was to cancel a number of investigations set up by the Green Party into uh, planning irregularities in about five different local authorities. I know there's been a review there at the moment and, and we're promised that those reviews will happen before Christmas. But people will... will you read will, your Sunday Business Post today, you'll see 
it's next week. Next week, on. exactly. But actually, they find no wrongdoing, partly because those individual, uh, the individual reviews into allegations of, 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 of wrongdoing in six separate planning authorities, the terms of reference of that review specified that individual accountability was not part of it. It was simply a review of the systems and uh, and the procedures, sure. and that's Sorry, why that's why it's, impor- it's important that th- for me those those investigations should have continued at the level they were at, and also after eighteen years after the Mahan Tribunal started, one of the key recommendations of that was for an independent planning regulator uh, to be put into place. That hasn't happened again. It's meant to the legislation is coming through and it's, it's supposed to happen. Uh, it's unlikely that it will happen before the elections. So what I'm saying to you is, we do have these problems. We're not taking them seriously enough and we have to deal with them and I'll also just Ferguson's right are we not picking and choosing a little bit I mean I I, I don't disagree with a lot of your points but for example we've we've had a couple of investigations this year alone which have led to the resignation of a Minister for Justice which have led to the resignation of a Garda Commissioner now you know controversy around all of those kind of things and so on but but they were rooted in investigations we've out of all of that miasma has emerged a demand for and the creation of a new system of accountability for Angarda Shikana and so on. So it is possible to construct, uh, you know, systems of accountability and of course investigation. It's, of course, it's possible. I we suppose just the question is, is there really a national will, not just a will among the political class, but a will among voters for it? Anyway, but listen, I've got to go. I've got to go take a break. We'll, we we can come back to this a little bit after. Presenter uh, after shouldn't be allowed the final word. Really. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is that not the entire <laughs> point? <laughs> you know, Mike has the last word. <laughs> There's more to come on the Sunday show. Stay with us. Mr. Welcome Lee. back to the Sunday show. We're Mr. reviewing oh, ter- Terry Prone. Terry Prone, who's with us this morning, has something to say. Don't you, Terry? I do. I want to apologise. I have been brought to my moral senses by Fergus Finlay. I should definitely not have used the word gobshite. I apologise for using the word gobshite. And I shall endeavour not to use the gobshite <laughs> word uh, as we progress through the programme. Now, are you happy, Fergus? I'm, 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 I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I don't want to hear that word gobshite anymore. <laughs> Okay. Excellent. Yes. All right. Thank I you very apologize. much. My producer <laughs> is waving furiously at me. We're reviewing the Sunday morning newspapers with Fergus Finley, Terry Prone, and Sinn Fein TD Patter Tobin. Patter, there's a poll in the Sunday Times this morning shows Sinn Fein down four points to seventeen percent. What have you got to say for yourself? Well, I think the trends for Sinn Fein over the last number of years has been uh, an increase. When I joined Sinn Fein, uh, the party's around two percent which meant that one in every 50 was a Sinn Féin supporter. Now it's roughly around, if you look at the trends, sure especially... Those, those two events are not... No, no, uh, they're totally not unrelated. <laughs> totally unrelated. Um, but if you look at the, the trends now, we're, we're in around 17, 18, 19%, which is about double what we got in the general election. And it means one in five people, roughly, out there is a Sinn Féin supporter, which is a big change. We were in a two-and-a-half-party political system. Those days are over. It's now a four-party political system. And in many of the polls... Sinn Féin will be the second largest of those two parties. So that's a radical change in anybody's uh, perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I look at some of the um, some of the analysis around it, and I think it's, it's interesting. They say that the analysis, uh, the reason why Sinn Féin may have fallen is because of the Independent made a big play of a potential coalition between Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil during that period of time. Um, and uh, it was interesting, I was speaking to a couple of independent journalists and they were telling me, uh, off the record of course, that they um, 
their uh, they get pay rises when Sinn Féin's uh, poll figures drop. So they'll be in for <laughs> they'll be in for a happy Christmas. Now yeah. they said it tongue in cheek. Now in fairness, they, they might be they pulling your leg. <laughs> they said it tongue in cheek, but um, no, I think there's there's a diff- there's there's a big change politically in this country, and I think for the first time, probably since the history of the state, uh, there's a significant opportunity to vote for a government. Uh, that doesn't include Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael in the state. And, Numbers um, don't really bear that out. And Sinn Féin has taken a strategic decision, which, if you read the papers, there's been a bit of wobbling on uh, lately, about absenting itself from any coalition that, invo- that led by Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. And <laughs> the danger, isn't it, for Sinn Féin, is that when it comes to the business end of a general election campaign, and people, undecided voters, begin to choose a government, that Sinn Féin won't be in the conversation. Well, the, first of all, I will say that the problems that are being affected by people are immediate. There, is, there are a massive crisis in the economy at the moment and, and within society, and these are immediate problems. So it's, it would be completely wrong for a political party to say that we're not going to go into government at this occasion, we're going to wait for five years and we're going to build. You have to be available for government to fix these immediate problems. But only however, on your terms, but not however, on the terms there is a difference, by the election, but, though. But Pat, there is the a difference between uh, office and power. And we know when smaller uh, parties prop up uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, they have office, but they often don't have power. So therefore, they don't get to implement the policies and that they need to. So there's no reason for Sinn Féin to go into government where we don't have the power to influence the policy. It would be a nonsense to do so. And is it your view that that power could only be wielded by Sinn Féin in a government where it was the majority party? I believe so. Now, if it is possible that you could have uh, Sinn Féin and another uh, left-wing bloc and another party in government where the, par- the, the focus of the government could be a progressive focus. That, so there are... There are different combinations of the ability to create for a progressive government. But I know for a fact, if you have a Fianna Fáil-led government, majority government, it will not be a progressive government and it will not make the changes that we feel are necessary in health. The papers are full of the the crisis in the health service, for example. We won't be able to make those changes with regards health or housing unless we have enough of a a, a critical mass to have that power. Fergus Finlay, what do you make of the poll numbers and of the general trends that well, last I, number of polls have I mean I think if you were trying to make a prediction right now I, I think you'd be saying that Fine Gael are going to have a decent election I think you'd be saying that Sinn Féin are going to probably have the best election that they've ever had don't know if it'll be quite as spectacular uh, as, as some recent polls have suggested I think the party of which I am a rank and file member is in uh, the battle of its life but in a funny sort of way, it's in the same kind of battle that it had to fight in 87 and 97. Um, I think Fianna Fáil will do slightly better than they did in 2011, if only because they couldn't do worse. Um, uh, and I think the independents and the groupings within the independents will emerge roughly the same uh, uh, as they are now. And I don't know what that tells you about the formation of the next government. I haven't the faintest idea. My gut tells me that the day after the next election, when we all wake up, some of us wondering, Mother of God, what did we do yesterday? Um, the pressure on every politician in Dáil Éireann... Sunday morning in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure on every politician in Dáil Éireann to form a stable government, to, to do whatever it takes to form a stable government, will be enormous. And that pressure will come from Europe, uh, from foreign direct investment, from the media. I mean, your paper, Pat will lead the day after the election saying 
now the country needs a government. Uh, and from that moment on, and I've, I've been there so many times, I've seen so many newspaper editorials saying, Labour must do the right thing over the years. Uh, we must, you know, whatever it takes, we must have a government. Um, and, and that's going to lead to some consequences and structures and shapes that we don't know now, some outcomes that we can't predict now. Um, people who say hand on heart, I'll never share office with them are going to find themselves under the most intense pressure to put a government together that serves the people and that serves the needs of the... I mean, the the thing about the economic recovery we're in at the moment is that it's very, very strong and really, really fragile. I mean, it's... You know, the growth numbers are enormous, but if one thing goes wrong in terms of confidence... That could all turns the political that could, card that could turn down. the political apple tart Terry, hasn't upside the, down. The entire history of Irish politics for the last thirty years has been of people doing things that they said they would never do. Well, compromise is a necessary but rejected reality of the kind of politics that we have. And Fergus's point is well made about the fact that Michal Martin, if he's in a position to help create a stable government, is not going to continue with whatever promises were made beforehand, because at that stage, it would not be in the national interest. But whether Michal Martin, I think this would be one of the key post-election questions if the numbers return anything like they are suggesting at the moment. Micheál Martin may not be a... Micheál Martin might agree that he must act in the national interest to try and form a government with Fine Gael because that's Absolutely. what we're all talking about and that's what Sinn Féin would really like because well, it I would then... Wait, because it would then uh, uh, get to dominate the opposition for the next five years. But whether Micheál Martin could convince his own party of that is something I have significant doubts about. Well, Pat, given your long history in the area of political commentary, you would know that there is one overweening lust that politicians have. They disguise it as the urge to provide stable government, but it is actually the lust for power. And when there is the possibility of a ministerial office, and I don't think anybody gets mercs anymore, but the equivalent, it's just amazing how many of of the of any party come around to the idea even though they are looking down the barrels of destruction because being the smaller party in a coalition means the erosion of everything that that smaller party stands for. Patter, Sinn Féin are so far contained their concupiscence for uh, for power. Wow. Will you be able to do that after the next election? Um, I, I think that the next government is... is and these poll figures could well be a Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael And that's government. what Sinn Féin wants. Well, no, I d- we don't actually, because if we see that, what we're going to see, one of the trends currently, if you look at the Fianna Gael election proposals, one of the big issues is the USC, for example. They want to give four billion back in USC over the next five years. And that would, if, if you listen to the Fiscal Advisory Council, would do one of two things. It would, they'd have to, under European rules, take that money out of the budget for public services, or if they break the European rules, it would actually inflate the economy uh, to a pro-cyclical, in a pro-cyclical fashion. Okay. Now, if Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were to become the government, 
that would be the type of politics we would see. So, you, you know, Sinn you would Féin wants to get rid of water charges and property tax. Let's give away too. So, but we look you know, to we Fien look. Fien look no, Fine Gael aren't the only ones promising. No, no. Giveaways. But we we look to raise whatever funds we look to give away in in property tax and water charges. We look to raise it in other taxations. So in other words, the envelope of taxation remains the same, and that's why it's not a pro-cyclical policy. And the the point of this is, if we see uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil in government, which is very likely, uh, the present trajectory policy wise will actually continue so those of us who are suffering or, or don't want to see that will definitely not want that type of government the only thing militating against that government at the moment is Fianna Fáil's self-interest because if they go down that route the raison d'etre of Fianna Fáil no longer exists there isn't a cigarette paper between the two political parties Fianna Fáil exists because it's not Fianna Gael and vice versa and you know but there's a good chance you could see Michal Martin taunished to end Kenny in the next ele- in the next government Fergus Finlay well, I think the first thing I have to say is that if our listeners are outraged by some of the words that Terry Prome was using earlier, they <laughs> should be appalled by your use of the word concupiscence in relation <laughs> to a political party. Um, I, 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 I'm listening to um, Pallor with great interest, predicting uh, in what sounds to me like a kind of a hopeful way somebody other than himself in government the next time? Because I mean, if, he wants if, to go in on well, his own terms. A few minutes ago we were blamed of being you know, power hungry and so therefore... No, no, you know, so. see, I, but, but politicians should be power hungry. Politicians who want to change things, want to fix things, yes. they should be want to be in government. And, and, and of course they shouldn't want to be in government on somebody else's terms. But they shouldn't be you shouldn't be sitting here advocating a Fianna Fáil Finnegale government on the basis that that'll make you no no it's the opposition. It's, no, it's I'm, I'm, not, I'm not advocating. It. I'm certainly not advocating it. And you know, looks increasingly likely. To I would be extremely fearful if that was the case. Extremely fearful, given the fact that my local hospital in Drawd has already ten thousand people on trolleys, and that that would be the policy continuation under Fianna Fáil. But there's a real possibility you could prevent it. Probably. Absolutely, You'd and by we, opening we yourselves to the possibility. But we don't believe that Labour has. Uh, succeeded, for example, in that minority par- party status. Succeeded in actually preventing those not issues. Not talking about Labour. Uh, no, but, but all we can all we can see is that the, the smaller party in those political arrangements never get their uh, political agenda uh, implemented. And I that's don't know about that. Didn't the PDs run ran Fianna Fáil's economic policy for years? Well, uh, uh, anyway, we've PDs got to go to a the break. The uh, we, we, we've done the last word again. Look, we've got to, we've <laughs> got to go to a break. I'm merely the mouthpiece of uh, my all-powerful producer. Stay with us here in the Sunday show. We'll be back shortly. You're welcome back to the Sunday show here on News Talk. I'm Pat Lee. He's sitting in for Shane Coleman. I'm joined by Fergus Finlay, Terry Prone, and Sinn Fein TD. Pater Tobin, we're reviewing the Sunday morning newspapers. Now, in the Sunday Business Post, uh, the health editor Susan Mitchell has a big read on the health service and on the organisation of the HSE. Terry Prone, I, I think this is the best piece I've ever read about the health service uh, in, in, in Ireland. What, what did you make of the picture that she Well, I thought it was fantastic the way that she started it because she starts it with Tony O'Brien, the head of the HSE, a few hours after appointment, watching the opening of the London Olympics, which some viewers, certainly I will remember, as being partly a pain of praise to the NHS. And she has Tony O'Brien saying, it struck me that they couldn't have contemplated celebrating Britishness without including the NHS 
it also struck me that it would be a really great day if we could have a health service in Ireland that was in the round seen as a key asset of the country for both the people who use the service and for the people who work in it. And then the story goes on to effectively say but no matter what, no matter what this group does over here, no matter what Tony O'Brien does over there, no matter what procedures are done over here, the HSE is still a chronically damaged, if not ruined, brand. And she has Tony O'Brien making no friends with the government, any previous (coughs) government or with his minister, by indicating that this is largely due to lack of vision, lack Mm -hmm. of money on the part of the people who he obviously feels should have the overarching vision and the money. Now, I would suspect that if you read through the thing, she is also saying, look, demographics, rakes of older people, extra demands. Tony O'Brien is talking about the price of drugs, particularly innovative new drugs, procedures, all of that. And at the end of it, you kind of go, Oh, God. So this is actually Angola. This is unfixable, especially if you think about the reality of the NHS since that marvellous London Olympics thing, because the NHS is on its knees. Isn't the problem, though, with the HSE, you mentioned a problem of of toxic branding, but the problem is not so much the brand. The problem is the substance, isn't it? The problem is both. First of all, I always thought it was a great mistake that when this government came in, I thought that they were going to abandon the brand of the uh, HSE and simply start again. But if you look at the structures, Susan doesn't say that structurally there is anything fiercely wrong. The structures have been changed radically under Tony O'Brien, the various directorships and clinics for this and clinics for that. And yet you still, the, the centre through which many people judge uh, the HSE is A&E and access to hospitals. Now, the research during Hall Martin's time about the uh, health service was that once people get into the Irish health service, they have a great experience, they are well treated, they appreciate it. It's the access point that still yeah. hasn't been T- fixed. Terry's right there. It's, yeah. if, if you look at the three major access points for people are, are A&E, waiting lists or ambulance services and all of those are incredibly difficult at the moment. I, I would have had in, in my own constituency over a period of a year about 40 people report to me of ambulances being over an hour late uh, in arrivals and in seven of those cases there were fatalities. Now I'm not saying those fatalities were directly as a result of yeah, I think that'd be unfair I'm not, yeah, not yeah, at all okay. but what I'm saying is people have a better chance of, of uh, success health-wise. Some of them it, have, yeah. yeah. So one of the, the, the behind this problem is and I mentioned it earlier is the promise of European public services on American taxation. That's the key of the Fine Gael promise, okay? You can't have that. If you want a European health service, you have to have a, a European tax base. Now, if you look, three and a half billion euros have come out of the, the health service in the in the last five years. 9,000 staff have come out in that period of time. And that's created all sorts of problems with regards to delivery of, of, of that public yeah, service. That's, that's clear, right? Mm. But 
over the previous seven or eight years, vastly more than three and a half billion went into the health service. And yet from the public debate about the health service, uh, reflecting presumably public attitudes on it, you wouldn't think there was any improvements at all. Well, if, if you look at the OECD average with regards public pay for health services, Ireland is below that. Where we, we go be, uh, above average pay for health service is the private insurance yeah. and the payments we make after that. So one of the problems with the, the, the health service is the two-tier elements to a certain okay, extent but, well, of it. Well, well, ask me this then. Okay, so if the problem is the two-tier nature of the health service, then tell me why it's only those parts of the health service, such as A&E, which are one tier, that have uh, have the greatest problems. The, the two-tier bit a- of it seems to you, work okay. A- A&E is actually the, 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 the point of last entry. It's where people go when things get stuffed. Very clearly, uh, if you delay uh, through uh, waiting lists or any other service uh, treatment, naturally a person's ailment is going to get worse. So if the only point of access for them becomes A&E, then A&E has to take a bigger glut of patients in that, in that scenario. So the actual practice of delaying treatment makes people's health health worse, which actually makes a larger cost in the long run to uh, to uh, treatment costs. And the problem with A&E, for example, in my own area, the, the Louth, Mead, Cavan, Monaghan area, we've had Monaghan close and we've had the Louth Hospital close in Dundalk over a period of time. After each A&E closes, there's a spike on the trolley count in the Louth Hospital, or in, in the Drawda Hospital and the Navan Hospital afterwards and, and in Cavan. So, closure of these services to, towards the so-called centres of excellence have only meant that people who are 100, 100 years old, people who are who are uh, infants uh, or people who are seriously sick find themselves in trolleys. And trolleys mean delayed diagnosis, delayed treatment and suboptimum outcomes. Fergus, is the system fixable within the current paradigm or does it need to be reimagined again from scratch? Well, I'd love to see it reimagined again, I, but I also think it's fixable. I mean, in 1970 our health system was run on the basis of county by county. And it had its faults and its failings. For example, you couldn't have a centre of excellence in every county, etc. So we regionalised the system in order to produce, and then we decided that didn't work either, so we now, then we created a 100,000 strong thing that was responsible for everything. I, I, I mean, I find that I was in pain recently, and I, it, a, couple of, a little while ago, and I was referred by my doctor for some tests to one of our major teaching hospitals. And in my stupidity, I didn't realise you could go into hospital and ask for tests. You had to go to A&E and you had to take your place in A&E. It's the only way in is the A&E, unless the ambulance brings you, as Pavel said, it's the only way in. One, one reform I would make right now, I'd appoint a key worker to everyone who's admitted. Uh, it works in every other system of uh, social care. If you go in and, hello, my name is Pather, I'm your key worker while you're here. Here's my phone number. Anything you need, give me a ring. I may not be able to solve the problem, etc., etc. But those kind of simple reforms would... would okay. I know you're putting me under pressure to yeah, be quick. Sorry, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, those kind of simple reforms would make okay. a big difference. But, okay. God, yes, it ought to be reimagined. We've, 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 we've got to go. My thanks to this morning's panel, Terry Prone, Fergus Finlay and Pat Tobin. Lots more to come in the second hour. Stay with us.